0: Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajisad, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben.
1: Greetings, human listeners
0: greetings to everyone if this is the first time you're listening to our podcast thank you for trying something new this is not one of our weird bonus episodes like we had uh, earlier in the week although we shouldn't call it weird just for the sake i don't know
1: why you called it weird i was put off by that
0: unscheduled bonus episodes this is one of our standard episodes this is we we kind of stick to a format here and part of that format is asking ben to plug a couple of the publications that he's recently written for ben take it away You can find my work at MotorTrend, at InsideHook, and at Business Insider. And you can find my work at Autotrader.ca as well as Driving.ca. And let's go with that for now. Wow, okay. (laughs) I forgot forgot the other guys I wrote for now. Um, Ben, I want you... To start our conversation off this week, because you're driving something, or you spent more time in a car than I have, and I think my short time kind of gave me a good, a positive impression, while your longer time um, has you questioning the vehicle altogether. So why don't you discuss, why not Tell me what that car is. It's the
1: 2021 Acura TLX. And this is a car I've been trying to drive for a while, but there were a bunch of things that kept coming up and keeping me from getting behind the wheel. Oh,
0: like a global pandemic or something?
1: No, it was actually unrelated to the pandemic. It's it's one of those vehicles like the Genesis G90 that I'm just destined never to drive. But I I finally tracked it down and I drove the A-Spec model of the car, which comes with a two liter turbo four cylinder. And my version had all wheel drive,
0: the SH all wheel drive as Acura brands it. The SH stands for something, Ben.
1: It stands for super handling, but I don't like to say it. It <laughs> so makes you me just feel call like
0: it SH all-wheel drive. Not it makes SH SH AWD. me feel
1: no. It's like I'm in a best motoring video, you know, from the 90s. Right. The, uh, super handling. The NSX can never lose. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, so the Accurate TLX this is all new this year, right? Like, there's yeah. a new motor, there's a new design, there's a fancy new interior, and I think. Um, lost in all of this is the fact that they're they're making this really cool version of the car called the Type S which isn't what you're driving you're driving the A-spec yeah. What's the deal here?
1: The deal is the Type S is going to have a twin turbo V6 and will probably be very quick. The type, the A spec that I drove has a 272 horsepower engine, 280 pound feet of torque, and a 10 speed automatic transmission. And it's heavy, it's like 4,000 pounds. So it's what? not exactly a sports sedan. It's not exactly a midsize sedan, but it's a car that feels very big when you drive it. it it's just. The dimensions of the car stretch out in front of you. The corners of the fenders are there. The dash is, you know, the, the windshield starts pretty far away from you. It just feels big inside. When you're driving it around, it feels kind of bulky. Um, and it's not particularly quick. Like It does 60 miles an hour in 5.9 seconds, which I think is slower than the Honda Accord with a very similar turbocharged four-cylinder engine, although the Accord version has
0: less power. so And front-wheel drive.
1: Yeah, so the, the the weight difference is coming into play when it comes to performance, uh, which is too bad because I think, you know, you see A-spec... You, you think video games, you think fun to drive. You look at the extroverted styling on this car. Mine was red. I, I can't remember the wheel color. I want to say they were black, but it was just like, you know, has, has the spoiler on the trunk. It's got a whole bunch of kind of boy racer stuff going on with it.
0: It's, it's extroverted. I think it looks good. I, I think of all of it, it looks great, the, the, the new TLX. I think they really nailed the design here.
1: Well, I, you know, people gave me varying impressions of how the car looks. Some people thought it looked fine. Other people thought it was kind of boring. But my my point is, I think the car is aimed at people who want to have a good time driving, and I don't think it delivers.
0: Okay. Now, that's a – yeah, I mean, anytime – first of all, if they're going to be making a Type S version of the vehicle and they have this uh, – I'm assuming an A-spec version of the car that's kind of that spirit with a lower horsepower engine, there, there's there got to be like a connect there, right? There's got to be a path leading from one to the other, and if you don't think that this is enjoyable to drive, then that does not bode well for whatever that Type S will end up being, right?
1: No, and and the Type S is not sorry the A Spec's is not cheap either. Like the base version of the TLX is like thirty eight grand, and you're up another almost seventy five hundred bucks if you want to get to the A spec.
0: I think my biggest issue with this car, as you described, it it looks or feels bulky. Size wise, it's very difficult to place this vehicle because it doesn't look as it doesn't look as small as, like, say, a three series or a or an Lexus IS. Um, I think it's a little bit bigger than those two cars.
1: Yeah, it's it's not. It really does not come across as a sports sedan. And all the posturing aside, it's hard for me to understand why someone would pick this car versus a Honda Accord, which is a really really good sedan that's roughly the same size yet drives like it's a lot smaller and a lot lighter because it is a lot lighter. Uh, the, the, there's other aspects of the TLX that are confusing at best and we've talked about this over and over i
0: know what we're going to talk about the the touchpad infotainment
1: the touchpad infotainment system is really not great it it doesn't make a lot of sense to use it's hard to use Uh, it's either too sensitive or not sensitive enough Uh, it's difficult to figure out where you're navigating on screen with the cursor Um, it's really tough to do anything while you're actually driving you kind of have to pay attention to the the touchpad and these are things that are that altogether make for a bad experience with infotainment. And there's a lot of other weird stuff about the car too. Like the whole center of the dash is dominated by this this dial that lets you choose drive modes. Mm-hmm. And it, there's another button underneath to for the for uh, park and reverse and drive slash sport, which is essentially the same as going into sport mode with the dial. Um, there's another button for the ignition, a little farther on the dash. There's a lot of similar looking buttons in the same space that sometimes when I would get in the car, I'd be like, okay, what do I need to push to get this thing going? And what do I need to push to get this car in park? You know, it's like, I shouldn't have to think of that. And I know if you own the car, you'll get used to it. It won't be a big deal, but it's, it felt like reinventing the wheel just to be different.
0: Okay. So I agree with you in the fact that why is the drive mode knob selector in the middle of the dash, right beneath like the HVAC and, um, and, media controls, right? Like, that's where you expect something related to those. It's the most it's prominent space on the dash. And it's, yeah. it's given to so this So, when button. I want to turn down the, uh, when I want to turn down the cabin temperature, I end up putting the car into eco mode or something. Or whenever I want to t- change the, t- the volume of the sound system, I end up putting it into sport mode. And I'm just always so confused by that. But, um we've talked about this in the past. You really don't like that push button gear selector, especially the way reverse is this kind of like it's like uh, a recess square button. This one that you have to pull towards yourself.
1: Yeah. It's, it's like, come on guys. I mean, yeah. we get it. You're cute. We understand.
0: <laughs> but but you um, know, getting back to the drive modes,
1: They do really change the car in the sense that the throttle uh, sensitivity really drops when you go into comfort mode. Like to the point where I was not comfortable driving in comfort mode because I could not predict what kind of response I was going to get from the engine. Um, Sport mode was the best of all three worlds between normal comfort and, and sport. Just because it felt the most direct for power delivery, Uh, the transmission would sometimes hold gears a little too long for me. But overall, it was was a decent experience. But it didn't really feel sporty. It doesn't really feel quick. It just feels adequate. And I feel like for the money and the, the market position it's in, I would want a car like this to feel more than adequate.
0: That's that's interesting. I actually really enjoyed uh some of the personality within the vehicle. I found that the cabin was made up of decent materials. It has it it I didn't like the layout. I agree with you. The layout is is a bit wacky, but the materials are very nice and the like there's a bit of quality, there's a bit of like attention to detail. When you put the car into sport mode, the the display gets really like I don't know if you saw this really neat, like, cyberpunk look or or futuristic look on the, da- on the dashboard whenever you do so. Like, with these, like, it shows a, an animation of the car driving through, like, what looks like a tunnel. Really neat. I, don't I know, honestly like did not notice out. any of that. It looks like OutRun, but like a modern version of it. It looks super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that would be where you find that differentiation from, say, a Honda Accord. I don't think these cars drive at all very similarly either. But the problem is, as you mentioned, it can feel a little heavy, a little big, and that doesn't bode well for a um, a sports sedan, especially if it doesn't have the power to back it up. Yeah. And I found that very peculiar that you, that you would say that because the last generation TLX had a V6 that made, I think, 290 horsepower and 267 pound-feet of torque, and this four-cylinder isn't far from that. But just asking a four-cylinder to act in that capacity all the time, I think, just can... Can it feels like it's straining a bit?
1: Well, I don't think it's that. I just think that the previous TLX wasn't that great either. You know, no, like, so it's it, it's it, possible. It, yeah. One thing I will say in this car's favor is that all-wheel drive is pretty cheap. It's two thousand dollars across the board. Like no matter what version of the car you get, whether it's the standard or all the way up to the top advanced trim, you pay two K, you get all-wheel drive instead of front-wheel drive. So that's that's I, a pretty good deal, and you can't get that with an Accord.
0: I wouldn't get this any other way. I would think all-wheel drive is almost a must-have if you're going to be buying a TLX. It's one of the like the features that make it stand apart from other vehicles in its class. The all-wheel drive systems in other vehicles, although they may be rear-biased, I don't think are as um, sensitive or as responsive as this SHAWD. Well,
1: I didn't really get a chance to thrash the car around. Um, I-, I did drive it in snow and slipperiness, and it drove perfectly fine. But uh, it's also not a car that ever compelled me to want to drive it in an aggressive way. Like, I even though like the the, the A spec comes with a whole bunch of sporty stuff inside. Like, it's got different seats with perforated leather and whatnot.
0: Um, it's they're it's, very it's, good. I liked them.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's meant to encourage you to think into thinking that you've got a a sports sedan. But honestly, there's nothing about its personality that compelled me to make a connection with it. It just felt like. Another kind of commuter car and uh, it's you're getting somewhat of a discount versus a German vehicle of roughly the same power. But I don't think that the compromises that come with it uh, make it really a choice where you'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm saving money and I feel good about that. It's, it's not like a Genesis G70 where you're saving money and you're getting something that is as good, if not better, than the competition. This is more like... It's a car where there is a front-wheel-drive version that's not at all a driver's car, and then you can get an all-wheel-drive model that tries to be a driver's car, but it still doesn't quite bridge that gap. At least not
0: for me. It reminds me a bit of, like... uh... Buick doesn't sell any more sedans, do they, right? No, they don't
1: sell any more cars, period. I think they're all SUV crossovers now.
0: And I think that's a shame because just before they canceled all of those, the Regal, and, uh, and there was another version of the Regal, the GS, I think it was called? Am I mistaken? Yeah, it was um, It was much better were, than this. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. It reminds me a bit of that. It, I, I don't know if recency bias is making me think that maybe this TLX gave off a stronger impression here um, in my in my opinion i i it's interesting that you say that the old regal the, sorry the modern regal gs which is no longer offered anymore is better than this i'm not sure i agree there but i think it also had a completely different it was just a different person it had it exuded personality everywhere not just in the cabin as i mentioned
1: and uh you know who's the customer for this car i mean very few people buy the tlx this is this is a car that's last year did 20,000 examples and the year before 25 you know and it's never done better than 47,000 models sold it's that that's a pretty good number but it, it dropped precipitously from that number when it that was back when the, the previous generation was first released so uh, i think the sales figures for the TLX are kind of following every other sedan as crossovers take over um mm-hmm it's hard to understand why someone would buy this versus, I mean, I don't think it's any better than a crossover at a similar price point. I don't think that the drive experience is commendable to the point where you'd be like, yeah, I, I really feel the difference between this and a, and a larger SUV. And I think that kind of speaks to the ponderous chassis. I mean, maybe if this had a lot more power, maybe the Type S would will change my mind. But as it stands now, it's it's not a car I would recommend, and I would in fact recommend you if you want a Honda to buy a Honda and yeah. check out the Accord because the Accord is very good.
0: Okay, hold on, you need to step, you need to take a step back because you said Honda is chassis, and I think that might be the first time I'm getting kind of that impression that you really didn't like the way it drove. The well, steering, I didn't say I didn't the, like the... the way it
1: drove. I just don't find it sporty at all. But like, it's, it's it's a perfectly fine placeholder sedan, and but if you got a if you got an SUV you wouldn't miss the driving experience of the TLX, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: It's, it's adequate. It just gets the job done. It's yes, not, that's And all. In, at this point, if you're getting a sedan over a crossover, you think that they should, especially in this luxury space, especially with the marketing and the, as you mentioned, I think posturing of Acura being this like kind of sporty, precision, you know, crafted, whatever they want to call it there. Um, vehicle it needs to exude that personality and it's, it's just not it really isn't it's I in feel, the drive
1: i think acura has no brand identity whatsoever so yeah, I, I, don't, I don't i don't <laughs> so i don't know why people are buying acuras i don't but sorry, let me phrase that. I don't understand if people, why people would buy an Acura just because it's an Acura. I can understand buying Acuras because you like how they drive or like the MDX, you know, you like aspects of it, it's useful, et cetera. So I'm not saying they're bad cars, but I just don't think the brand has a cachet that lures people into showrooms and they're like, this is the new Acura. And you're like, oh, I've been waiting for the new Acura. I don't think anyone really feels that way.
0: No, I mean, I think the brand identity is slowly devolving into a fancy, uh, fancy Honda, which is to say, I want what that Honda is, but in a better, in a more attractive package. And I don't think and that, that what's the TLS see that. And what's funnier is that I think all of the chassis that are in use on, uh, on the Acura products, maybe not the ILX, I think the, the new MDX shares its chassis with the um, upcoming pilot. All of the, like the TLX, I don't think it shares a platform with the Accord. And I don't think that's the case with the... I, I think that's the case with the RDX as well. For bespoke platforms and chassis, these
1: should be better. They should be better. So I, I kind of feel like I've just been beating up on Acura for the last 10 minutes. But okay. uh, <laughs> I, to summarize I mean, it... We it, want them to make something better, and we don't want people buying
0: something that they don't want.
1: So it's to summarize it, the, the A-spec version of this car, it's, it's not terrible. It's not great. There's no real reason... That would compel you to buy it or to drive it or to test drive it. I can't think of a car in its segment that it outperforms. Uh, If you like the styling, okay, then maybe you should test drive it. But I do think that there are cars in the segment that look good, that give you something more. Uh, Like I mentioned, the Infiniti Q50 is kind of a a good example of that. Um, Or even a 3 Series, like a base 3 Series, (sighs) you know?
0: I don't know if the 3 Series is attractive-looking. I think that's maybe where the TLX comes into play. I think of all of the vehicles in its class, I think the Lexus IS is good-looking. I think the G70 is good-looking. And for some, ha- for some reason, the Q50, whose design has like endured from 2014 or something, it's, an, it's a, it seems to be a timeless design. People love the way it looks, right? Well, I don't think the TLX
1: is particularly attractive.
0: I think it's cool-looking. I mean, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's ugly. I can. I can understand why somebody will want would want it. I think they can see that style resonating with them.
1: Okay. I mean, maybe if this car was like seven eighths the size, it would be more compelling. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I think that if it wasn't like a kind of a weird tweener from, yeah. or at least in, it feels like a weird tweener, it, it would be something that I would be more interested in. If it weighed 400 pounds less, it would probably be more exciting to drive. More Which
0: is what. I hate this discussion because I think the they're, they they almost get it and I and you know what's even funnier is that the TLX has um, a, a sibling a, a sibling vehicle the ILX which has been redesigned in certain years and has never ever achieved what it's supposed to do like dynamically it's always been actually maybe I should take that back there was a manual version of the car that was actually pretty fun to drive but that's it right like why couldn't we get like you said, a smaller version of this car would have, been a, would have been a winner, right? Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be a lot smaller, just a little bit smaller. But I, I, you know, that's, I think
1: that's kind of all I have to say about the TLX.
0: You sure you don't want to say anything else? No,
1: I, I think I'm just repeating myself at this point.
0: I like it when you repeat yourself. Okay. Um, well, that gives me an opportunity to talk about the car that I've been driving, which is a new Nissan. And what's interesting about this Nissan is that it's a one of it's one of the staples I think of the Nissan brand, and that would be the Sentra. So, in my opinion, I think Nissan is made up of the Sentra, the Ultima, the and the Rogue. I think those are the three key vehicles in that in that under that in that nameplate. And I think the Leaf plays a very very specific part, as well as like the halo products, like the GTR and the Z. Um, but for the Censure to go through such a thorough um, redesign, similar to how the Rogue went through a very impressive redesign, and I think you and I have both spoken pretty highly of the new Rogue. I was curious to see whether or not the Censure would receive the same treatment that the Rogue got, and I have a lot to say. about I have a lot to say about this because compact cars are a tough segment to, to to get right into to assess i think because there's so much going on in the compact car segment you can have a really basic simple product like um let's say oh i'm 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 forgetting what who makes really basic compact cars
1: well i mean you used to have cars like the yaris and um you would have like the the hyundai accent i guess those are some subcom- subcompacts though. those are subcompacts
0: but like your know, you focus have...
1: was pretty basic
0: that's true um, and the cruise, or something like that. And, and I think the Corolla plays that part right now. It's basic transportation, um, and it's gotten much better over the years. And then you've got um, these really specialized compact cars, something like the Mazda 3, which can feel really either um, high-end or powerful with that 2.5 turbo. Um, and then you can get something that's like a jack-of-all-trades, like the Elantra or the Civic. Where does the Sentra fit in all of this? That's really weird because to me, the Sentra has always been on, these, on, on this, the end of the spectrum that was like kind of boring and, and just an appliance car. Um, and now it's no longer quite at that level. It, it really has stepped up. Um, and to, to, make that, to make that point even, even clearer, the model I'm driving is kind of particular because it's equipped with a six-speed manual. And that's not something that the American market doesn't even get. Why would I get a manual version of the Sentra? I think it's to showcase just the steps that they've made in making a, a compelling and engaging vehicle because past Sentra's, like the last two generations of Sentra, were really, really boring to drive. Well, it's
1: interesting too that like not only did you get a manual version, but I believe you got the top trim version in manual, right?
0: Yeah, the SR trim with a manual transmission. Weird, right? Yeah. So um, I'll I'll be clear. My expectations for, for this, based on the past two generations of the Sentra, were kind of uh, low. I was expecting a basic basic transportation, something affordable um, and packed with value. And Instead, I got something that's a little bit stylish. I do really like the design of the Sentra. It doesn't look like a compact car. It doesn't look kind of dorky or anything like that. Um, it looks really sharp. It looks like a Mini um, Maxima or, or or even like the... I think it looks better than the Ultima in some ways. Um, and then the interior maybe is where they've, they've cheapened out a little bit. There's a little less sound insulation. Um, some of the materials, like the plastics, are very like rough and scratchy. But that's it. I've got a ton of features. I've got Android Auto, Apple CarPlay. I've got dual zone climate control. I've got um, USB-C chargers. And I've also got those safety equipment, um, blind spot monitoring, and adaptive cruise control, even in a manual transmission vehicle, which is kind of neat.
1: Do you have uh, a giant amount of headroom like in the previous Sentra?
0: Um, I wouldn't say giant amount of headroom, but I do have enough headroom, um, which is helpful.
1: And what was the rear seat like? Because those are the two things I remember the most about the previous Sentra. Just like if you wanted to wear a top hat, you could do that. And if you wanted (laughs) to camp in the back seat, you could also do that probably while wearing a top hat.
0: You're telling me the Sentra uh, appealed to the top hat wearing demographic? Yes, I think that they were after the monocle and top hat crowd. I don't know if the new Sentra is up to that um, standard anymore. For starters, I don't think the rear seat is as, as spacious or, or doesn't feel as spacious um, as some of the other vehicles in its class. It is still a very practical vehicle. All these compact cars have gotten much bigger over the years, and the trunk is massive. And um, I've just been, I've just been like impressed in the efforts that Nissan has made, the strides Nissan has made with its core products. I think the Altima is the only one they kind of. You know, they they that I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it was effective. Those redesigns that they had recently, um, and I don't know if they really like. There's that new turbocharged engine in the in the Altima that I don't know if people are really on board with that variable compression turbo engine. Um, I don't know. It's to me, it's just like the Ultima didn't click as well as the Rogue did, and I think the Sentra is as well. So. Uh, I have to say, I'm pretty impressed and price wise, it's not that bad. It starts at uh, 19,000, which I think honestly is actually kind of expensive. But the base model Sentra comes with the automatic, um, which is not the case in other base model vehicles. And it comes with um, it comes with features like uh, all the safety features that you're looking for, like uh, emergency braking and uh, automatic braking, both in the front and the rear. And Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. So it's not that it's not that basic. And so uh, have you mentioned what's under the hood yet? No. A two-liter four-cylinder makes 149 horsepower and 146 pound-feet of torque. You do have to rev it out. Um, I find myself kind of like really winding it out to get some performance out of it. It's not a performance car. Like that's...
1: Yeah, well, the reason I was asking is there's two reasons. First, that sounds kind of even less than what you would get from a Subaru Impreza, which to me was kind of the lowest horsepower in a mainstream compact that that, that was on the market. That's like, what, around 100? Is it 170 or 160 something? The the
0: Impreza, I believe is 150 something.
1: Okay, so, so it's roughly similar to that. But the real reason I was asking about what's under the hood is because there used to be performance versions of the Sentra. Yeah. Uh, there was the SR in the previous generation, and there was the, the Nismo and the S E R in in the older models and the spec, spec, spec V. Or so yeah, so all of those all this to say that the previous version of the Sentra tried to bring that back and did a very poor job of it. The cars were not interesting to drive. They were, they were turbocharged four cylinders that were essentially, they, were, they had torque, but they weren't, you would never want to rev them out and have fun with them. They were not engaging vehicles. So I'm curious, is there anything like that available with the Sentra now? Or is it still mostly focused on the entry level? And maybe that's something we get in the future.
0: That's, really, that's a good call. Um, I'm curious because I really like that turbo charge. It used to have a 1.6 liter turbo, I think, and it, very similar to what you would get in a Juke. And that's, a, that's not a bad engine. It's a shame that it just didn't work out in the Sentra.
1: It's not a bad um, engine, but it's not a fun engine.
0: No, but I mean, there's a bunch of 1.6 turbos. Those are cute engines. Like the Fiesta ST had one, the Veloster Turbo has one, and the Sentra and the, and the, and the, and the Juke. Have it as well. It's a shame that it just didn't really work out with this car. Um, do I think that there is a sporty version of the Sentra on the way? I I, I don't know. I haven't been paying close enough attention to Nissan's um, performance strategy. But to me, the chassis feels like it's ready for it, and the fact that I'm driving a manual version of the top trim version of the car suggests that they they're cool. They can make it happen without you know questioning it, right? Like. Clearly, the people in command of product uh, planning are saying that manual transmission versions of this car work in a certain in a certain demographic, a certain market, and that will probably fit well with a with a turbocharged version of the car.
1: I, know, I, I, add, would,
0: I would love to see
1: a spec V or an SCR come back. I mean.
0: It, it, <laughs> We, we don't have I any front-wheel-drive
1: performance cars anymore except for the Civic Si, right? And the Veloster. And the Veloster. Those, those are kind of – and then we have like sort of Which are hatchbacks, car- right? Yeah. And we have sort of performance cars. I mean, yeah, you're right because we had an Si Coupe and that's gone now. But and then uh, the WRX. But, but that's not a front-wheel-drive car. Oh, right. Sorry. My mistake. So, so uh, we have sort of front-wheel-drive performance cars. Like Kia makes the uh, – what is it?
0: The, uh, what, the, there's the There was the Elantra GT – Oh yeah, the forte G. I think the forte GT. is. Yes, like one,
1: something like that. So they, they were. But now the, the
0: Elantra is getting the N and the N line.
1: Yeah. So so we have these like mult, the kind of almost performance front wheel drive cars. So something that's really kind of, you know, hair on fire front wheel drive anymore. So there, everything's gone to all wheel drive. So if if I don't foresee an all wheel drive version of the Sentra, which is why it would be interesting to have a front wheel drive hot hot uh, compact again.
0: I'm. I'm so glad that you brought this up. I think that... It is interesting because I feel like we lean on the Korean automakers to deliver us this performance package a little bit too often. You mean we, we lean on them to deliver what the Japanese have stopped delivering to the market? Yeah, it's weird, right? Well, we also have like the GLI and the GTI. Maybe we're being
1: too harsh. Okay, that's the, a like, good point. All right, I take back everything I just said. So this, but, but they're, all, I, they're all hatches. At the fr- I I really have a hard time considering the GLI to be a sporty compact car because it is not <laughs> compact. It is it is hefty. And okay. it's also not that great to drive, in <laughs> exactly. my opinion. It's it's okay, but it's not like Civic Si level. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not something where I get out of it and I'm like, that was fun, I want to do it again.
0: That's interesting. I was thinking about this because um, the Hot Hatch needs, the Hot Hatch segment or the comp, Sporty Compact needs a shot in the arm. Veloster N and I think Elantra N really showed that there is enthusiasm still in this market. Did you know that Toyota... From what I understand, Toyota is hoping to bring this um, wild version of the Yaris to um, North America. Yeah, but that one's all-wheel drive as well. I, I like the Corolla Hatch; I think it's fun
1: to drive. Um, but it's it's the same engine as you get in any other Corolla, right? Yeah. So it's it's not. It, it's more about the chassis in that vehicle. And if they gave that. That vehicle, a a cool engine, it would be even better. It's already decent, and, and it could be better. But again, hatch again. So, I don't know. If I'm they, kind of all over the place is, talking about
0: these cars. That's right okay. I wanna, why not? If they put this turbocharged three-cylinder from this Yaris GR, which I think is, stands for Gazoo Racing... Um, if they put this turbocharged three cylinder, which makes 268 horsepower, into a Corolla, would that do the would that do the trick? they Toyota needs to stop
1: trying to make Gazoo Racing happen. Gazoo <laughs> Racing is not going to happen. No one calls and, it the GR Supra. No one. Not a not a single person calls it that.
0: Sorry. I'm sure somebody in Toyota calls it that. No one person though. <laughs> maybe
1: maybe the maybe Mr. Gazoo, as they call like- him in the office.
0: I want to go back to the Sentra, especially the um, SER and the Spec-V. These were kind of cool cars when I was growing up. I remember seeing a lot of modified versions of these, which is weird because now you don't see them anymore at all. I think they all disintegrated or something. Yeah, they're all completely gone. You never see them. What happened? Because I still see modified Civics, and I think there's some modified – surprisingly, there's a lot of modified Corollas in my neighborhood. I see more Uh, like
1: uh, Maximas and Ultimas from that era than
0: I do Sentras. It's just strange. What happened to them? I don't know. It's a great die-off or something. (laughs) They, like, disintegrated, I think. They all – I remember there being a very special issue with the Spec V version of the cards that overheated or something and just couldn't handle the performance that was under the hood. Um, I hope they got that sorted out in whatever they're going to do next. All I'm saying, the new Sentra has um, moved the bar for the Sentra nameplate. I think that wasn't probably hard to do. They needed to deliver something that was um, reasonably competitive with its, its uh, rivals. And I think they actually do have something that's uh, on par with the Corolla. Now, the question is, is that enough, right? The Corolla has a ton of re- – a, a, a giant reputation to overcome. And even when Toyota doesn't sell a particularly good version of the Corolla, like the last generation model – they'll still sell a bajillion Corollas, right? Yeah. So what is Nissan doing to overcome that? Just by offering, yeah, we're just as good as a Corolla. I don't think it's enough. They need to make sure that it's cheaper than a Corolla, and we don't have that. Is it more, more performance-oriented than a Corolla? I don't think so. Um, does it have more features than a Corolla? Mm-mm, no. Um, so they revamped the Sentra, but they didn't really revamp their place in the segment. So you're saying that in order for them to really make an impact, they're going to have to blow the Corolla out of the water? Well, they have to try to... Well, that's what the competition has done. The Civic has done... They they did that with the Civic. But and do you, then,
1: think, you don't think the Nissan has a, enough of a built-in audience to be able to scoop up the sales it needs to keep the Sentra profitable and kind of not have to spend the money they would need to blow the Corolla out of the market?
0: No, I don't think so because... Um, the built-in audience for Nissan used to be like affordability in comparison to to Toyota they used to offer very good deals on all of its on all of its products and i don't think that we have that with the latest Sentra just yet um and, and i i think also in canada we're also um what's it called spoiled by choice with the with the small vehicles like the micra right yeah that's true um and you can also see that there like if you've driven a kicks i mean i've also i've also said that the kicks a very surprisingly fun to drive car um so we're, we're we're missing a certain personality here or a must-have feature the sentra does very well for what it is and i think if they lowered the price by a thousand bucks it would be much more popular if they added one or two more features it would probably help put it um in the spotlight alongside the, the corolla I don't think they can go high-end like Mazda did, and I don't know if they can offer all of the features and space that uh, Honda and Um, Hyundai do with the Elantra and the Civic, but here's the other question about investing a lot of money in the Centra. Is it worth
1: it to do it in a world where no one's buying cars anymore, and where people are probably going to be looking at the Kicks first and the Rogue first? You know, like, do we? They really want to make the best possible Centra that they can, or do they just need to make a Centra that previous Centra buyers will will also want to buy?
0: This is very important. Um, I agree with you that it's really important to talk about this when. To me, compact cars in this $20,000 range are still relevant. They can be um, first first cars or first-time new car buyers. And I think you get more value with a car rather than a crossover, which in which case you're buying, I guess, space and like practicality, I suppose. Yeah, with, and with potentially all-wheel drive. And potentially all-wheel drive. But in a, in a car, you might get more – I think you get more features – and probably um, a little bit more of like a, I don't want to say performance, but you do get a little bit more of a engaging driving feel there. So I think there's still relevancy to the to the compact car segment in that price range. When you get too far, I think when you reach that thirty thousand dollar mark that the Mazda three gets into, that's way too much. I don't. That's like a different class of vehicle. And I think this, the the top end Civics and Elantras get there. I is it weird to you? Like seriously, a top end. Centra SR, you would be surprised at its price point. It is just... You'll never guess. $53,000. No, that's too high. Stop it, Ben. $27,000. A top-end Centra SR is $21,800. Wow, okay. Yeah, I never would have guessed that in a million years. <laughs> How can the top-end vehicle be just $2,000 more than the base model, right? <sighs> Uh, in theory, it's because the base model has a ton of
1: equipment, or the top tier model has no equipment. Those are like my two <laughs> my two guesses. It's cr-
0: that, so that's where they're that's where they're going to make their impression. A, t- a top end Corolla isn't that is is much more expensive than that. So at least when you're saying you want the top trim model, you're not going to be spending a lot for it. I guess True. that's where they're that's where they're going for with this with this vehicle, and I think that's a that's the that's like the gut punch that I'm looking for. That's the thing that I'm looking for, the killer app that um, Nissan is, is going for with this vehicle. And it'll be interesting to see if they if people pick up on it, because I think it's much better than it used to be. So, Do you uh, have memories of the Sentra SR or S-E-R? Like, how many generations... Is it funny that, like, the I'm serious, the last two generations of Sentra have meshed together, and then we just... I just remember, like, the old Sentra that I grew up with, and... Like this one. That's
1: well, it. these cars aren't intended to be memorable, right? Like, it's, unless That's you not ha- true. Unless you had personal experience with them, it's not necessarily something that's going to stand out to you. You know, like your best friend had one when you were growing up or your parents had one or whatever. And you, It's not like you're dro- walking along the street and you notice these cars. That's, that's
0: not what they're for. But like Civics, old Civics, especially the, thanks to the tuner scene. Like those were, those are cool all the time. Well, only I mean, if you're into them, though. Yeah,
1: there's like an equal number of people who despise those cars. <laughs> you know the thing. Civics are polarizing for that for that reason. I'm not saying I'm on either side of that, but I, I just it's something
0: I've noticed. But like when you play your the, the next video game, whatever tuning video game, Midnight Club Four, who knows what it might be, like feasibly, reasonably, it would offer you a Civic, but I doubt it would offer you a Sentra. Right, that's true. That's a good point. It's
1: not the <laughs> Nissan that gets put in the video games. No. Anyways,
0: that's that's what I have to say about the Centra. Anything else you want to talk about this week?
1: No, I think I'm good. I think, okay. I think I'm think i good. I think I've had my fill of uh, Sentra Talk for sure.
0: Okay, great. So, let's let everyone know, let's let, let's give everyone the 411 on where they can find our uh, podcast. Right, Ben? Sure. You can go to our website. It's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and while you're there, you can see uh, an archive of all of our previous episodes. It's it's really easy to scroll through and you can see links to the articles that we've written about the cars that we're talking about. You can see photos of the cars, uh, and other details like that. And additionally, while you're at our website, you can subscribe to our podcast using a bunch of buttons on the top of the, uh, of the website, or you can just search for the unnamed automotive podcast on your podcast, uh, client, super easy. You hit subscribe there and it lands in our, I mean, sorry. And it, and it, it means that you're going to get the next podcast as soon as it's released.
1: And hopefully it'll be much more engaging than this one. Uh, oh, <laughs> Well, I just mean, you know, all that Centra content, it's, it's a lot to process.
0: It is a lot to process. If, if you want to complain about that much Centra content, Ben, I'm going to tell them how to do it. Send it to me.
1: Yeah, send it to me, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Or you can get on Instagram at HuntingBenjamin is where you can send me your anti-Centra thoughts. Or if you want to talk to Sammy about how the centra makes you feel, he's at Sammy underscore hot like you're laughing on Twitter.
0: Yeah, I want to hear all these people who picked up the centra in Gran Turismo and were like, this is my starter car. And this is how I'm going to beat the game starting with this one. Um, Ben, what are you driving next week? I'm driving the Lexus RX, Sammy, the the 450H hybrid. Cool. Although that car hasn't been changed in a long time. So I'm curious to hear what you have to say about it. I am driving a Volvo S60. That's the name of the car. I remembered (laughs) what it was just as I finished saying it. Excellent. I can't wait to talk to you about it.
1: All right. Thank you for listening, everybody.
0: Bye.